the four horsemen. What you have here is the four horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those four horsemen. These four horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the Four Horsemen. Welcome to the Four Horsemen podcast. I am your host today, Benjamin Kerfman. I'm here with, do you prefer Mark or John Mark? Uh, Sir Mark would be great. Okay. Archbishop Clifton. (laughs) Archbishop. That sounds really Um, good. Governor. You know, uh, Spurgeon's guys called him Governor. So when I was in Warnell, I tried to get all my elders to call me Governor, but (laughs) they didn't. Chief, sometimes they would call me Chief. Because I noticed today everybody calls you John Mark, but I feel like on the other podcast they just call you Mark. So I don't know what that is. Johnny calls me John Mark or John all the time. So I let Johnny call me whatever he wants to call me. My wife refers to me as Mark. Okay. Kevin Izell, the president of the North American Mission Board, and Tom Rayner call me Mark. Uh, my mom and daddy named me John Mark. So you, you pick one. I don't okay. care. It's great. I can I can go by anything. So. so God probably calls you John Mark then, right? Yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But my wife said she's not going to spend her whole life using two names when one will work. So yeah, she doesn't use sense. John Mark. She just uses Mark. Okay. All right. So, so now that we got that out. Right. Yeah. Dr. Mark Clifton, correct? No, not really. No? No. Sometimes it shows up, and I don't always correct it on the bio, but no, I'm not. A okay. I, I, I would claim it even if I didn't have it. But, <laughs> no, um, I've, got a, I've got an MDiv from 1985. Okay. And until it wears out, I'll probably just stick with that. Right. So I'm not a very good, I was not a very good academician. Okay. All right. There you go. And so you are the senior director for revitalization and replanting at the North American Mission Board. Yes. The author of Reclaiming Glory. Yes. And a co-host on the Revitalize and Replant podcast with Tom Rader. Yes. Who is a doctor. He is a doctor. Yes. That's right. <laughs> Many of our listeners have probably followed your ministry. I did, I'm not wearing my hat today, but I do have a hat. Good. And so a lot of people are uh, familiar with that. You're definitely, uh, your social media game is very strong <laughs> for, well, for these a, young that's guys. that's a sign of insecurity. Right there. Wow. You got to put everything on social media, take a lot of selfies. Well, I'm just saying, I, you know, I got a notification <laughs> on my phone during the service today that you were live on Facebook. I was live during, on Facebook. During Trazen Road. So, during the service. That's um, right. So you're definitely uh, leveraging uh, modern technology, there which is go. good. Well, if you call Facebook modern technology, that's where grandparents post their grandkids' pictures. Well, that's true. That's one of the things. I, so I'm 31, yeah. and I'm, I'm one of the... The yeah. younger people on there now. So that's yeah. definitely changing. They yeah. say that Gen Z is going to abandon social media. Yeah. So we'll I see. You may be right. Uh, we'll right. see. I would be fine with my kids not ever using technology. Yeah, I'm glad my kids <laughs> didn't have it when they were young. I want to take advantage of this opportunity. We're here at Fruitland Baptist Bible College again for the Alumni Day. John Mark has been here uh, sharing a little bit of information about revitalization and replanting. Really, if you're in a situation to do that, which most guys, I'm an alumni from here myself, 99% of guys are going to graduate Bible college and go into a church that needs revitalization. And so it's a really important topic, something that we definitely want to make sure that we're educating people on. But I wanted to talk specifically about the idea of turning the corner in revitalization, because one of the things that I'm seeing is we're getting a lot more resources, a lot more books, a lot more discussion about revitalization. People are recognizing the need, like you mentioned earlier today, that we don't need to just abandon these established churches that it, God needs to be glorified and revitalizing them. But since we're in the early stages of that, there's not a whole lot for the pastor that's 
five, ten years into his ministry, things are starting to turn around. What happens after that? And so that's kind of the conversation I wanted to have today because the guy who's just getting started, there's a lot of stuff for him. For that guy that's really stuck it out for five and ten years and has fought the battles and all those kind of things, we want to speak to that guy and offer him some next steps. And so, Well, first of all, I'm glad he's still there. Yeah, uh, A lot of guys don't stay after year three or four. It gets really hard in revitalization. I work with a lot of guys who I have, I have equipped and have trained and have marinated with me, and they know what they're getting into. They go to a tough place in the first year or two, but by year three or four, a lot of times it's their family even can't can't deal with it, and they can't deal with it, and they and it's so easy to go someplace else anymore. You just put your resume out there online, and and you can go someplace else. So first of all, if you stay five years, good for you, because we say if you're not going to stay five years, don't even go, don't don't even sniff at it. I mean, don't go. You'll just make it. You'll leave it. I don't mean to like like. He calls on guys' heads. But if you go for less than three years, most of the time, obviously, Sovereign Lord can do whatever He wants in your life. But I'm just talking about most of the time. If you go and you stay less than five years, you're probably going to do more damage than you are good. You're not going to be able to really deal with a lot of the issues, and you're going to empower them. The dysfunctional people feel like, well, we waited him out. We can wait the next guy out. We can wait the next guy out. So... Good for you for staying more than five years. Let's yeah. start with that, all right? When we talk about turning the corner and revitalization, like, where is that corner? The corner is when the problems you're dealing with are problems you've made. That's when, it, that's when, it's when you know it's your church. When you five, Really, I'm serious. Five or seven years into it, you're not dealing with past problems anymore. You're dealing with problems that you, you or the people there. I mean, seriously, we all mess up, and, and so you're dealing with your own issues. So that, that's part of it. When that happens, for sure. Also, when you've reached enough new people through evangelism and discipleship, that there's a, there's some new corporate memory in the church. Everything's not about what happened a decade ago, but sometimes there's now it's about what happened two years ago, three years ago. There's some fresh corporate memory building. So I think when when you see that happening, that's a sign that you maybe have turned that corner, and especially if there are new people being added. Yep. Okay. So let's say your guy's getting started out in the ministry. You go into a church needing revitalization. You do a lot of work on trying to improve things spiritually as far as getting the membership healthy, obviously biblical preaching. You're working those things out. Let's say that the church is doing better spiritually. The membership is healthier. People are growing. Evangelism is happening. What next? What do you do when things are better spiritually? Start raising up leaders. Start raising up the next generation of pastors. You start raising up the next generation of elders. That's where you spend most a lot of your time. You also help your church get a, a big worldview of what it means to be part of, of the kingdom and what are we doing globally, how are we praying for churches globally, how are we praying for other churches in our community, how can we impact other struggling churches, how can we look beyond ourselves. You've got to do that. You really do, or you'll get stagnant. But mainly, first thing is, to what's my plan for raising up leaders? Where's, where's my pastoral residency and what's happening with it? And how can I attract other guys to become part of this pastoral residency? And, the, and the, even an internship for uh, revitalization and that kind of thing. How can I look at some other pastors in town who are struggling, and how can our church, now that we have some degree of health, how can we minister to that pastor and his family? How can we give them gift cards on their anniversary? How can we let them go out and have an evening? Our people will babysit the kids. How can we just love on them in some way? So I think that's, that's when you turn the corner and you start looking outward big time, trying to see how you can reproduce, again, your own ministry through your interns in your residencies. 
Okay. Would you also say that that's also when conversations about things like church planning and that kind of thing need to happen? Yeah, well, conversations about church planning need to happen all the time. I mean, even when you first get there, you need to let the folks know that multiplication is really a New Testament concept. And uh, the more you know, the more we, we build that into ourselves, the healthier we're going to be. And so we, we want to be a multiplying church in, a, in, in every sense, both multiplying in terms of starting new churches, multiplying in terms of, of embracing struggling churches and helping get them get back on their feet. But yeah, you know, whenever that time comes now at Warnell, I mean, as a church, I was part of replanting. We had a big building, right? I mean, a huge building and we didn't need it all. So literally within a month of me arriving there, I started looking around for some church plants that needed space. And immediately we started adopting uh, church plants and we always had three or four in the building along with us. And then we started starting churches and we started churches from like year three and some of the churches we started were bigger than we were in you know a couple three years. Mm. Yeah, but that that outwardly focus is is a really good sign of health. You mentioned earlier today too uh, the idea of kind of redefining success because yeah, you got to people think you know oh well when our church gets to a certain size and attendance or budget you yeah. know then we'll be able to do things like have an internship or plant no, a church. You don't do that. We started having an internship at Warner. We had about forty people. And we never had any money. Even when I left, after been there 10 years, they could never make payroll. And, and payroll was me. I was the only paper. Right. They could never make payroll till the fourth Sunday's offering was taken. So we, we never had money. We waited around to have money. We'd never planted a church. We'd never replanted a church. We'd never ministered in the high school. We'd never ministered to the family of murder victims. We never would have started a residency insurance. We wouldn't have done anything. We waited around to have money. We never had any money. But as I said earlier in the meeting this morning, resources flow toward activity. And so resources for all that stuff came from a variety of, well, it all came from heaven. Mm. I mean, it all came from the Lord. He, he resourced his plan for our church, but he used a variety of people to do it. And so, yeah, you never wait around for the money and you never wait around to get a significant size. Again, what you cannot define in, in any, in my opinion, you really can't define church health by how many people attend a, a gathered worship. That's a false it's a false way of looking at it. You define church, you know, again, I know it's kind of trite to say this, but all of his letters to Timothy, Paul never asked him, how many are you running right now? Uh, he never asked the church in Corinth, you know, have you broke the 200 barrier yet? You probably ought to get out of that conference. By the way, there's a church near you that's doing a good job of breaking the 200 barrier, so you need to get down there because you, know, you got to break that 200 barrier. Mm-hmm. That's a totally American Western concept. It's a totally church growth concept. It came out of the church growth movement, which was not a bad thing. The church growth movement started overseas and, you know, it was really good. By the time it came to the United States, it became westernized to be just about win-lose, success, failure. And if your church is growing, you're succeeding. If it's not growing numerically, you're failing. And the problem with that is if you grow bigger every year, eventually you're going to, it's not possible. What we look at is quite simply the Great Commission where Jesus said to go and make disciples, teach them to observe all things. Observe means to do it, not know it, just know it. And so our goal, our success in a revitalization is a church that has a pattern of making disciples who can make disciples. That result in the neighborhood being noticeably better because if people are disciples, they're living like Jesus. And if you live like Jesus, your neighbor's life is going to be better because you're going to be more generous and more compassionate and more caring and more giving. If you're not generous and compassionate and caring, you're not living like Christ. So you're not really being a disciple. You might be a church member, but you're not a disciple. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Yeah. The National Convention, Southern Baptist Convention, is obviously making a big push in that direction. 
North American Mission Board is, is putting a lot of resources and materials and people like you in positions to be able to really assist our established churches in doing that, along with planting new churches. So after all this work in revitalization and replanting, they say it takes about five years for a guy to really kind of get in there and get enough influence to really start making some changes. So if we're making this big push now, where is the Southern Baptist Convention going to be in five to ten years? I don't know because I don't know where our country is going to be in five to ten years. I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what the Sovereign Lord determines to do with this church. It's really His church to do with what He wants. Mm-hmm. I, I really resist sort of goals, numerical goals, because that's very sort of man-centered. I think our only goal is to be obedient to what he asks us to do and to faithfully preach the word, faithfully love the flock, faithfully serve with ridiculous abandonment the community, uh, and all the numerical things that, that's in his hands. I, that's not a, I'm not copping out on that. I really, I really do believe that. I know back when my dad started pastoring right after the Second World War, I mean, you know, the culture that he pastored in was very favorable toward evangelicals and very favorable toward churches and very favorable toward Baptist pastors. If you were the pastor of the First Baptist Church of some county seat town in the 1950s, you were one of the most respected people in the community. Well, those days are gone. Mm -hmm. So you can't compare then to now. We're in a very different climate of evangelism and things in this world. So, I mean, yeah, it's just it's different. So obviously, I can say this. I do believe that we are moving in a place where we are better suited to truly have churches glorify God than we were a few years ago. I think what we want is churches that are glorifying God by making disciples and impacting their community and uh, and living as Christ would have us live. First, to love each other as he loved us and to love our neighbor as ourselves. I didn't make that up. I think it's in the Bible. <laughs> and so hopefully all this emphasis will lead churches that perhaps were turned in on themselves, were fussing and fighting and being unhappy to be churches that love each other, love Jesus, and love their neighbor. And then what God determines to do with that in North America, that, that'll be up to him. But our job is to do the first. The standard is just faithfulness. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's always been the standard. I mean, when, when Timothy's having trouble at Ephesus, you know, Paul, again, in those wonderful letters, he calls them to preach sound doctrine. That's what he called. He didn't tell him to stay there and, and knock heads together or stay there and grow it numerically. He said, you need to preach sound doctrine because some have made a shipwreck of their faith. To me, that's how you can sum up revitalization in one word. You've got to come in and preach sound doctrine because these churches have made a shipwreck of their faith. And, and they've done it because the adversary has confused them. And so it's through sound doctrine, sound preaching, good biblical understanding that we come to a place of being, uh, knowing what Christ wants us to do with his church. So one of the things that I know a lot of people see, and for me, just being a Southern Baptist pastor, bivocational, small church, that kind of deal, you go to the convention or you look at the reports on these things. And on the one end, I see what seems like alarm on kind of a larger level as far as our baptisms are down and church, you know, church membership is down. But then I look at a church like mine that had 50 dead members on the roll two years ago. Our membership role was, you know, six times the size of our worship attendance. And after correcting that and being in a healthier place, our numbers look terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's hard because as an organization, we have to kind of measure those metrics. Yeah. But then what you're saying is, is, you know, from a spiritual, those are not any indication of what God is doing. 
Well, they are. They, I wouldn't say they're not any indication of what God's doing. I think anytime you have baptisms, God's doing that. Anytime the church grows numerically, if it's truly growing, God's doing that. All of that is God's work, every bit of it. And so I'm not suggesting that we don't we don't keep those kind of numbers. I think when you have 45,000 Southern Baptist churches that are so diverse and so different in so many ways, it's very it's a huge challenge to come up with one annual church profile where membership in this church means the same thing as membership in that church. I mean, that that we, we struggle with that. But it's the best we've got. It's all we can do. And there's no doubt that our baptisms have declined. And, of course, we, much smarter people than me have been spending tremendous amounts of time working on that issue. But no doubt part of the issue is that, again, we're not culturally in the same nation we were 40 years ago. We're in a much more resistant place to the gospel. But what we do want to see... You ask, I want to go back to that question about what we want to see now that all this emphasis and revitalization. We do want to see a reduction in the number of churches that just fold up and close. God gets no glory from that. And we don't want to see churches close. If there's a, if there's, if there's a neighborhood to be reached and there's a, there's a group of saints who are willing to submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and, and be what he wants them to be in that community, that church does not have to close. I do hope that in five or six years, we'll no longer see 900 churches a year closing, but that number will be reduced. I really believe God would have us do that. I think that's definitely something. Now, how big those churches would be, and that's, that's really up to the sovereign Lord as long as we're obedient. But I think we are to, we are to make sure that, that the churches don't close unless there's a few occasions. I served as a state business director in Kansas and Nebraska, those two states, and some of those communities where oil communities or gas communities and they're longer there. I mean, they're no longer there. So the church is no longer there. Sometimes in our urban settings, what used to be a neighborhood has been bulldozed down and now it's all industry and warehouses. Okay, that's that's pretty obvious that that, that, that community is no longer there, so the church is no longer there. But here's the reality. Of all the 900 churches that Southern Baptists closed, 90% of those were in communities that grew in population. So we're closing churches where people live. And that's not glorifying God. And that's what we want to see stop. So how many of those churches, how many, I've, I've seen pictures that you put up on Facebook in front of churches that have been taken over by Mormons or yeah. various other things. Yeah. How many of those churches would you say were actively trying to pursue revitalization versus just saying, hey, we're just going to ride this thing out? To they, the they, were, they were just riding it out. I think they were. I've In the last few years, I've stood in front of Buddhist temples that were First Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. I've stood in front of... Uh, Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that was the largest Baptist church in its city. And now it's a it's a, a Mormon church. And I've stood in front of churches that are now mosques. I've stood in front of churches that are gift shops that are, you know, I, it, it's it's crazy when you think about it. Uh, I Look, I know the building is a building. There's nothing. I, mean, I know the church is, is not a building. I mean, I, I went to seminary, so I, I do know that. <laughs> But also know that the neighborhood identifies that building with the message we preach. Mm -hmm. So when the neighborhood sees that church is gone and we say we have the truth, I mean, how dumb do we think they are? Well, if you have the truth, how come your church is closed? If you could say you could, if Jesus is the answer to all my problems, I guess he couldn't keep your church open. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's, it really reflects on God's glory. Often what happens is the churches don't make good decisions at the end of their life. The other key leaders have already left. It's gotten worse. And so some of the people remaining are not in the position to make the best of decisions. And they're vulnerable. 
So somebody will come to them and tell them what they want to hear, and they may embrace a leader who's not qualified, and he may take them down a path and sell part of the property and to somebody else, or, or they may sell it on a contract for deed to a school, or the, a private school, or a, or a guy who's planting a church who can't afford it. And, you know, and in any way, it ends up sometimes in a bank, and the bank gets it, and the bank doesn't care who it sells it to. So it's just amazing how many, literally billions with a B, dollars of property that could be used to glorify God, to be sacred space in a neighborhood, to really minister to people's lives, we, we lose almost annually. The adversary wins when we do that. And I think those churches just... They were in denial. They didn't ever come, you know, again, in, in Revelation 2, where Jesus talked to the church in Ephesus, he said, first and foremost, you've got you've to remember how far you've fallen. You've got to return to those things you did at first. You've got to repent and return to those things you did at first. And a lot of them never want to remember how far they've fallen. They never want to acknowledge we really are in trouble. And then they also don't want to repent and say, we're here because, hey, Jesus didn't get us in this mess. We got ourselves in this mess, right? And so we repent of that. And if they won't remember where they've fallen from, and they won't repent of what they've done wrong, then there's very little hope for revitalization. So you feel like uh, looking at the, you said it was 900 churches a year? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So out of those 900, your goal is that there's many of those that actually will do this and pursue that with the support of other churches and the convention. And And look, my team and NAM, North American Mission Board, has been working really hard to kind of quantify this. Part of our job, part of my team's job is to change the narrative. The current narrative, or the narrative a few years ago, was dying churches are a hot mess. They're like a dumpster fire. Just leave them alone. Let them burn themselves out. The reality of it is there's something we need to do about that. So changing the narrative is changing the story. And in order to change the story, you got to know the story. So my team has really been working hard at, at gathering information across North America that God's doing some amazing things for His glory in the last five or six years. So this year alone... Now, not all these, not every church we've identified engaged in a replant in 2018. Some were 17 and maybe some were even 16s. But in the last two or three years, we've been able to quantify over 300 churches that were truly at the point of closure, that have followed a replanting path and are trying to come find what God's plan is for them. And I don't think that would have happened a decade ago. So I think we're early in this process, and we're not sure exactly how those numbers are going to come out. But I'm delighted that I can look and say, here are 300 churches that were at the point of closure the last couple, three years, and they've they've taken a different path. And that different path always involves we have to repent, we have to change what we're doing, and we have to be willing to receive outside help and guidance. So I I think that number is really helpful. I think from everything I've listened to and read, I haven't really heard that before. That's that. That is helpful to have a number of okay. Here's some churches that really are turning things around. Right. So, how many of those do you think were using existing pastors versus maybe they didn't have a pastor and somebody yeah, came? It's in? really hard to do it with the existing pastor. Really, really mm-hmm. hard. God can do anything. And let me put it this way: you can't do it with the existing pastor. All right. Now, with that said, let's say Bob's your existing pastor, and he's been there for 20 years, and the church is down to eight, and it used to be 300 or whatever. No, that Bob isn't going to turn around. But God can do a work in Bob Mm -hmm. and change him, and he can be a different pastor. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. He had the same guy, but he's a different pastor. Right. So that can happen. It's pretty hard. doesn't happen very often, but I've seen it a few times. But it's never the same guy exactly the way he's been doing it. Can't turn it around. Every now and then, God will do something in the life of a pastor, and he'll have this moment where he truly does repent and sort of come to the end and say, man, we got to do something different. And he becomes a totally different guy. 
and God can use him. But most of the time, the revitalization, the replants we see are when churches don't have pastors. And that gives us an opportunity to, uh, to help them look for a different future. That involves basically four simple pathways. One is maybe they just need to walk away and give the building to a trusted partner. Seriously. But don't sell it. Give it to a Southern Baptist partner, probably state convention or association or another strong Southern Baptist church who says, we will come in here and we'll plant a new church in this building. All right? But don't sell it. It's a kingdom asset. Number two is to merge with a new church plant. There's probably, we see this maybe more almost than anything else. Strong church plants that have godly leadership, that know where they're going, that have strong sense of vision, firmly planted in the community, but no building. And then a church of 18 people and no pastor. And it's like, okay, let's just put these things together. Now, what happens is it's not a merger. The dying church comes under the complete leadership of the new church, and they, they're rolled into the new church. It's not like two equals. Right. But we've seen that actually be quite productive, and we're working really hard at that one so that the new church loves and cares for the older folks in that remaining church. And you know, so that you can give the property away, you can merge with the church, or you can just give it to a church plant. As long as that church plant can handle the cost of the building, you got to make sure of that. Otherwise, it'll become a burden around them and all that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> then the fourth one is to replant from within. But replanting from within either needs a brand new pastor or a pastor with a new heart, like I said. And you really do have to have some help from the outside. You've got to have some other churches who will partner with you and give you prayer and guidance. And, and guidance. I mean, you're not maybe able to make the best decisions. So you need to really submit yourself to some other folks. And uh, you mentioned earlier, what could a, a church that has made some achievements in revitalization, right? One of the things they could do is look around them and see some churches that are struggling and say, hey, we could, we could, in a sense, adopt you and bring you along. So replanting from within is always about having a church that's stronger and more focused, be able to come along and walk beside you. So those are sort of the pathways that we see God using. As we wrap up, say the person that's listening to this, either they feel a burden for replanting revitalization, I prayed specifically that the Lord would put me in a church that needed revitalization. That was where my heart was. Or maybe they're in a church, maybe they're even just a church member and they recognize, hey, my church needs some help. What are kind of the first steps? What are the resources that they need to connect yeah, to? For a revitalization, I think you should look at revitalize.net. That's Tom Rainer's new revitalizing network. So the Revitalize Network, just look it up. Just Google Revitalize Network with Tom Rainer. He's got some great resources for all sizes of churches that are really going to be awesome. Also, you can go to our website, churchreplanters.com. I don't, I don't know how we reached the world before we had websites. I have, I'm just thinking about that. I don't, I don't know how the apostles did it. But you can go, you can go to our website, churchreplanters.com, and we've got a lot of resources there for churches that are. We got self analysis in there. Church can take a self and self analysis inventory to see, you know, how close you are to death and that kind of thing. We also have some webinars and videos there. And then if you want to be a replanter, you're thinking God might be calling you to be a replanter, you can get information on our website for that too. So I would go to Tom Rainer's Revitalized Network, and I would go to churchreplanters.com. It's two places to start and looking for some help in regard to that. Okay, and so if you're listening to this and you're either a pastor or a church member and you feel like um, your church can benefit from these resources, please take advantage uh, of the work that's being done by Tom Rainer and the North American Mission Board here. And we'll see you next time. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast. And be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. Oh, 
from the other side, they say the grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.